Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Okay, I'm going to need a little bit of help to kick off this sermon, okay? So everybody just please stand up. Could you please stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up? Okay, if you haven't had your coffee yet, my name is Byron, and I am your coffee. All right, hold your hands up in the air. Hold them up, hold them up. I'm not going to rob you or anything like that, okay? We've already taken up the offering, so this is not a stick up. All right, hold your hands up now. Wave them around like you just don't care. Wave them, wave them, wave them, wave them. Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, one more thing. All right, touch your nose. Touch your nose. Touch your nose. Touch your neighbor's nose. No, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, you guys can go ahead and sit down. Now, you might be wondering, why did he have me do that? Okay, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. Today, as we continue our sermon series, We Are Redemption, taking a look at how we experience life change through Jesus here at the church. Today, the big subject is discipleship. What is discipleship? And here's what discipleship is. It is a lifelong game of follow the leader. That's what we just did. We played follow the leader. My daughter, Esther, she is three years old, and she just discovered this game. So you guys can pray for me. (laughs) And she loves to play follow the leader, and that's exactly what we were doing at dinner the other night. She said, Daddy, stand up. Daddy, sit down. Daddy, raise your hands up. Wave them around. Wave them around. Touch your nose. Now touch mommy's nose. Okay, go ahead and pick your boogers. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. But she loves to play follow the leader. And when we were kids, we really loved to play that game. But as we become adults, it's a lot harder for us to play follow the leader. But I want you to know, if you're going to follow Jesus You need to follow the leader. That's exactly what discipleship is. And if you're new to redemption, let me go ahead and clue you in. Here at Redemption, we believe that Jesus is the leader. You're not the leader. I'm not the leader. Esther is not the leader, right? Jesus is the leader. It's what we talked about last week in our sermon, What is the Church? To kick off this series, we looked at Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus tells this. He says, I will build my church. It's Jesus' church. Jesus is the one who invented the church. He's the one who dreamed of the church. He's the one who started the church. He is the one who builds the church, and Jesus is the leader of the church. And what we looked at last week was this. The church is not a building. The church is not an event. The church is not an organization, institution, or a business. What is the church? The church is you and me. The church is people. And what Jesus is saying is, I will build my people. And the question is, how does Jesus build his people? Well, the answer is what we're going to talk about today. It's discipleship. Discipleship is how Jesus builds his people. Jesus is the leader. Jesus is working in your life, working on your life. And he wants to work through your life, and that's what we call discipleship. And as we begin to follow Jesus, Jesus then begins to change us. In fact, this is one of the first things that Jesus does as he begins his earthly life and ministry. And it starts Jesus' ministry. It runs all through the four Gospels, where at the end, Jesus ultimately tells his disciples to go and make other disciples. But here's where we start. In Mark chapter 1, we see this in verse 6. 16. As Jesus, there he is, there's the leader, Jesus Christ, walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. So Jesus comes, he's walking, and then he comes across two men who were fishermen. They were casting their nets into the sea, and he says, come and follow me. Just ordinary, normal, regular 
people that has an invitation from Jesus to follow. And then here's what he says, for I will make you fishers of men. Now, normally we think that's a cute little pun that Jesus says, oh, hey, look, you're out fishing for fish. Well, if you follow me, you'll catch some people, right? But that's actually not what he's saying. What he's saying is a rabbi in that day, and that's what Jesus was. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was a preacher, a practitioner of life. And he comes to these ordinary men. He says, if you follow me, I will teach you how to do the things that I am doing and you can go and you can make a difference in other people's lives. The word fisher of men was actually a euphemism they gave for first century rabbis, which would mean they would capture the hearts, the minds, the imagination of the people that surround him. He says, if you follow me, I will make you like me and you will go and do the very things that I am doing. That is the invitation to these fishermen. He actually gives a couple more invitations in verse 20. What we read is this, and when he, that's Jesus again, had gone on a little bit further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat while they were preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Again, in 2.13, once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. Why? Because Jesus is a teacher. He's not just some wandering hippie sitting under a tree in the lotus position, drinking green tea and pontificating about the realities of life. That's not Jesus. Jesus came as a preacher. He came as a teacher, an instructor. He was a rabbi, and he was calling people to come and follow him. So he goes up to Levi later known as Matthew, and he was a tax collector. Now, I want you to consider the people that Jesus calls to follow him. He gets a couple of filthy fishermen, just normal, regular guys down at the dock. They probably got fish worm and guts underneath their fingernails, right? They, they cuss and they make their mamas blush and all those different things. They're basically like, they're basically like, um, plant workers, right? And so they're just wearing their Nomexes, right? Doing their thing. That's, that's basically, that's basically them. Just good old boys, normal, regular people. And then he calls, he calls Levi a tax collector. Now this is the worst of the worst. Tax collectors in those days, they made a, they made a decision that they were going to turn their back on their own people, their family, their, their, their culture. As a Jewish man, he turned his back on Judaism and he began working with Rome to extort taxes from the Jewish people at an exorbitant rate to where people considered him a traitor. He was a social pariah. He was the lowest of low. He was an outcast. Nobody loved him. Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to be around him. And then Jesus says, hey, why don't you come and follow me? And then here's what we see that happens. He gets up from his tax booth and then he follows him. Jesus told him, come follow me and then he followed him. And then we see the big long list of the 12 disciples in Mark 3.13. And here's how we read it in Mark 3.13. And he, Jesus again, went up on the mountain. And what did he do? Come on, guys. What did he do? He called them. And what did they do? They came to him. They came. Jesus calls. They follow. They came to him. He called those whom he desires. And he appointed the 12. That's the disciples whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. You see the pattern here that Jesus calls. Why? Because Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the one who is calling. Jesus calls and we follow. This is the Christian life. That the moment you meet Jesus is because he has called you, that he is calling all of us. The reason you're here today is because Jesus has called you. If you're not a Christian yet here today and you're wondering, why did I come to church? It's because Jesus is calling you. I believe that Jesus has brought you here today for a purpose because he is saying to you, follow after me. This is the Christian life. That God, the Holy Spirit, through the Father and the Son, awakens us to the reality of life, to the love and the grace and the forgiveness that we find in Christ Jesus. He saves us, changes us, transforms us, and he calls us to follow him. And guess what we do for the rest of our lives? We follow him. 
Jesus calls, we follow. It is a lifelong game of follow the leader. And so that is what discipleship is. And as we kick off and we're continuing our We Are Redemption sermon series, this is a series where we're casting vision for who we are and how we experience life change through Jesus as a church. And I want you to know that life change is not just something we put on a wall. It's not something that we wear on t-shirts. It's not something that's on our website. It's not something that we say in our team huddles. It's something that we truly believe We deeply believe that Jesus changes lives. We believe that wholeheartedly, and that's what we want for you. And as your pastor, I want you to understand that this subject of discipleship is incredibly important to me because I believe that when Jesus changes our lives, everything in our lives begin to change. That's how we follow after Jesus. And if you're going to call Redemption home, I want to let you know up front that there's going to be some expectations and there's going to be some encouragement, exhorting. There's going to be some help and equipping along the way for you to accomplish that. We do not teach casual Christianity at this church. We don't believe it. We don't teach it because you're not going to find it anywhere in the Bible, right? We don't teach sideline Sundays. No, we want everybody to get up and get in the game because God made you for a purpose, a reason. There is a destiny on your life and we want to help you to discover those things. We don't teach casual Christianity or cultural Christianity here. We teach a devoted discipleship, full-hearted, full-throated, totally devoted, giving all of our lives, surrendering trusting, believing, and following after him. And if you're going to call Redemption Church home, I want you to know this is what we believe. Discipleship is important for your life. Why? Because it was important for Jesus. It's how he builds his church by building his people. So the question we must ask ourselves is this, what is discipleship? I know there's a lot of you who come from different backgrounds. We're a new church We have a lot of new people coming in from the last six months, church online, COVID. Everybody's getting back together, and we're trying to figure out, well, what's our next step? How are we going to keep moving forward? And there's a lot of people from different backgrounds, traditions, upbringings. Maybe you were raised Baptist. Maybe you were raised Presbyterian. Maybe you were raised Catholic, uh, Episcopalian. Maybe you were raised like me, Pentecostal charismatic, right? How many of you were raised in the charismatic tradition? You were raised Pentecostal charismatic? Okay, go ahead, raise your hand. I know you want to. (laughs) Go ahead. If you feel the spirit lead, you raise both hands. (laughs) Do you notice I didn't ask the Baptists to raise their hands? Because they wouldn't. And maybe discipleship looked different in the, in the upbringing you come from. Some of you, discipleship meant one-on-one mentoring. And so you had to have a mentor, and for you, that was discipleship. Maybe it was a leadership pipeline or development class that you went through. Maybe it was some other class. That's the kind of church I grew up in. The church I grew up in, discipleship was actually a class that you attended, signed up for. So every year, they would have the discipleship class. And it was a three-year discipleship class. And if you took this class, You would have to read the books and the curriculum. You would have to have a mentor. You would walk through this class, go on a mission trip, pay the money, and at the end of the three years, you would graduate. They'd bring you up in front of the church and say, welcome, our 2007 discipleship class. Everybody would clap. And what happened was this. Nothing's wrong with those things. I like curriculum. I like mentoring. I like doing all those things, and they're important. But what that did for me in my mind was this. It created a literal class of disciples versus Christians. It created a division in my mind that there's the disciples, and then there's just people like me who are Christians, And I'll never be like them because I'm a 22-year-old newlywed punk kid who works at Chili's. I can barely pay my rent at that time. The only book that I had read was Goodnight Moon. Like, it's not happening. (laughs) Redfish, Bluefish was also one of my favorites. (laughs) And it's just not going to happen. I thought, I'm never going to be a disciple because I'm never going to be like them. And it created a class in my mind of the haves and the have-nots, the ones who are worthy and the ones who are unworthy. And it was them and it was me. And I was just a normal, ordinary Christian. The problem with that is that is nowhere in the Bible. That is an actually an unbiblical mindset when it comes to following Jesus. Did you know that the word Christian only appears in the Bible three times? 
We say it all the time. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Oh, they're a Christian. Oh, I listen to Christian music. I listen to Christian radio. Oh, they're a Christian, right? Three times, three times, that's it. Do you know how many times the word disciple shows up in the Bible? 269 times. The way that God wants us to identify ourselves is as disciples. It is a way that he uses to, 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 to identify who we are, how we live, and how we follow after him. And here's why this is so important to me. It's because I believe that in the American church today, we have made Christianity too easy and discipleship too difficult. Here's what I mean by that. Pretty much everybody that you meet is probably going to say they're a Christian, right? Especially in Southeast Texas. You say, hey, are you a Christian? They say, absolutely. Yes, I'm a Christian. You ask them, well, how do you know you're a Christian? And they would say, well, because I was raised in church. My grandmama prayed. I went to Awanas. I can quote a couple of Bible verses. One time I went with my friend to that crazy charismatic church and that lady bopped me on the head that one time. Doesn't that make me, doesn't that make me a Christian? Right? I mean, when you go to my Instagram, right? I don't care what the pictures say because I have a Bible verse in my bio. Doesn't that make me a Christian? Sure, I post pictures that would make my pastor have a meltdown, but I just got that Bible verse in there, right? And every now and again, there's a hashtag blessed. I'm good. Doesn't that make me a Christian, right? I can quote the verses, Jeremiah 29, 11, John 3, 16. I got that down. Doesn't that make me a Christian? We've made Christianity too easy. We boiled Christianity down to this. Bow your head, close your eyes, repeat this prayer after me. The problem is Jesus never said those things. Jesus didn't say, repeat after me. Oh, you did that? You're in. You're in. You're good to go. You're good to go. When you get up and you stand before God in heaven and he says, why should I let you in my kingdom? Here's what you don't do. You don't pull up your shirt and say, I have a Celtic cross tattooed that says faith. <laughs> That's it. That's it right there. Is it, doesn't that do it for me? Isn't that it? And he's like, yeah, probably Probably not. <laughs> so then, if Jesus isn't calling us just to make decisions, but to be a disciple, well, what does that mean? So we need to have a good definition for it. And there's a lot of really smart people with letters after their names who've written more books than I can read in my lifetime. And they've got wonderful definitions. But I think the simplest and practical definition that I could give you for today is this. It's two things, make it really simple, is knowing who Jesus is and doing what Jesus says. That's what discipleship is, knowing who Jesus is and then doing the things that Jesus said. And there's a big difference between knowing and doing, okay? There's a big difference. It's not enough just to know who Jesus is. There's a lot of people who would say, I know who Jesus is, that's good, that's great. But even the Pharisees knew who Jesus was and look how their life ended up. Even Judas knew who Jesus was. He was with him for three years and look how he ended up. And even the demons knew who Jesus was. In Mark chapter two, there's this story where Jesus goes into a temple and he casts out a demon and here's what the demons say. The demons say, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Right? You have the theology of a demon if that's all that you have. If all you do is know who Jesus is, that's not enough. We also have to do the things that Jesus said. Live the life that Jesus has for us. It's knowing who he is, loving him, serving him, believing in him, trusting him, spending time with him. Those things are great, but you also have to live it out in your life by doing the things that Jesus said to do, to love, to help, to serve, to bless, to give, to care, to forgive others, to pray for your enemies. All these things is doing the things that Jesus tells us us to do. It's not enough just to know him. We also have to do the things that he said. That's what discipleship is. Think about it like this. It's the end of the summer. So, you know, your vacations are over and you went kayaking or maybe you went to the river and you got in a boat and you're rowing down the river in your kayak. And what you need is an oar. You need two oars and you have both oars in the water at the same time. And you have to be rowing in the same direction. That's how it works, knowing and doing. And if you only have one, what are you gonna do? You're gonna go in circles. 
If all you do is know who Jesus is, I know who Jesus is, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, I know who Jesus is, okay, what's gonna happen in your life? You're gonna keep going in circles over and over and over again, and you're not gonna get anywhere. And some of you in your life right now, you're wondering, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, how come I'm not growing or getting anywhere? Because you're not doing the things that he said to do. You're just going in circles. Okay, now on the other hand, there's some people who all they have is doing, they're very religious, very pious, moral people, and they live good lives, and they do all of the things that the Bible says, but they don't know who he is. You don't love him, serve him, you don't bless him, you don't spend time with him. You're about doing the stuff, but you don't actually know who he is, and you're equally going in circles as well. And my hope and my prayer for you at Redemption Church and in this message today is you would stop going in circles and you would start moving forward forward to what God has for you in your life. That's what discipleship is, to know who he is and also to do what he says to do. Here's what Jesus says in John 14, 15. If you love me, that's knowing, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. That is, you would do what I say. Now, you would probably hear this, some people, because I read this for years, almost as Jesus is like, if you love me, you would obey my commands, but that's not reflective of who Jesus is. I want you to know something, that Jesus is wise. Jesus is smart. How many of you ever think about Jesus being smart? You're like, I know he's the savior, but is he smart? Is he brilliant? Is he wise? Is he good? Is he kind? Absolutely, he is all of those things. And the commands that he has for us are not punishments, but rather their preparation and their blessing and they're his grace. Here's what Jesus says elsewhere in John 10, 10, that I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. Elsewhere he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you wanna have life? Do what he says. It's the same way that I have these conversations with my daughter. She is three years old and she is testing every single boundary that she can imagine. And I have to pull her aside and I say, baby girl, like sit down, right? Let's, let's have a talk and I look her in the eyes. And I say, baby girl, don't you know that it's not good for you to drink Mountain Dew before bedtime? (laughs) And no, you can't play in the streets. And no, it's not Halloween yet. Hold on, we can't go trick-or-treating. Seriously, the other day she asked, Daddy, can we go trick-or-treating tonight? I said, no, and she had a meltdown, okay? (laughs) But that's how we are when it comes to God. Don't you know that God wants what's best for you? That the commands and the things in the scriptures They're actually leading you to God's best for your life. And so when Jesus says crazy things like, bless those who persecute you, you know what he's really trying to get you to do? It's experience the life that he has for you. Whenever Jesus says that you should should love others, you know what Jesus is trying to get you to do? To to experience his best for your life. As Jesus gives us commands and we begin to obey them, we begin to become like him. It's not just knowing him, But the more you know someone, the more you trust them, the more you believe them, and then the more you do the things that they say to do because that's what love is. That's what discipleship is, is knowing who he is. And the more you know him, man, the more you're gonna wanna live a life that pleases him. That's what discipleship is. It's knowing and doing. So that leads us to the second question. And some of you may be asking this question right now. Am I a disciple? When you hear that knowing and doing, you take an inventory of your life. Are you a disciple? Are you living your life in a way that you know who he is, but are you doing the things that he has asked us to do? Are you a disciple? And here's here's why we, we have to ask this question, right? Because it's possible for people to say they are something that they're not. Did you know that? I know it's 2020 and it gets confusing sometimes, but it is possible for people to claim to be something that they're not. Okay, let me just give you an example. I don't know if you know this, but I am six foot seven. What? Who are you to judge me? I am six foot seven. I I put it on Facebook. That makes it real, doesn't it? I mean, if it's on the internet, it's gotta be true, right? If I post it on Facebook, it's gotta be true. And no fact checker came up to tell me I was not six foot seven. So therefore I am six foot seven. Did you know that? Did you know that I'm also, you can ask my wife, Ashley, I am a ballerina. 
Why are y'all laughing at me? Have you ever seen me do the splits? If you've never seen me do them, then how do you know I can't do them? Have you ever seen me wear a tutu? One of our deacons just said yes. That never happened. <laughs> I'm about to have to put myself under church discipline. <laughs> well, how do you know I'm not a ballerina? Maybe in my heart, I am a six foot seven ballerina. In my heart. In my heart. In my heart. That's who I am. In my heart. Well, I mean, like, it's possible for people to say things that aren't necessarily true. And there's a lot of people who say, you don't know me, you can't judge me, you don't know what's in my heart, only God knows my heart. Yeah, but we can see your actions. And that's the difference between just knowing and doing. See, there's a lot of people who have a profession of faith. They've made a profession of faith, but they're not actually practicing the faith that they profess, which means they don't actually, maybe, possibly possess saving faith. So you can profess a faith, but if you don't practice it, live it out, then you have to really consider and prayerfully ask yourself, am I professing a faith that I actually possess? And so what I want to do today is I want to just kind of help you be able to navigate through this. So you have your sermon notes. You've been taking your sermon notes so far. This week, what I want you to do is I want you to take these notes to your small group, and I want you to have a conversation around discipleship. And here's what I want to encourage you with so much is that life change. That's what we believe here. Life change through Jesus. Life change is actually a lifestyle. That life change is not lip service, it's not just what we say. No, no, it's more than that. If you wanna experience life change through Jesus, here's what you need to do. You must embrace the lifestyle that Jesus lived. Life change is a lifestyle. If you wanna experience life change, you have to embrace the lifestyle that Jesus lived by. And so here's, here's what we see in the Gospel of Mark. Here, here's how it goes, Mark 8, 34. The disciples have been with him for a little bit, and then here's a story that takes place about halfway through Jesus' ministry. He says, and calling the crowd with him along with his disciples. So we see that there's two groups. There's a large crowd, people who profess a faith, and then you have a small group of people who practice their faith. There's a large crowd. Here's what Jesus is doing. He is calling all of them, giving them an equal invitation. Hey, anybody want to follow after me? Yeah, you've been a part of the crowd. I'm calling you to come and follow me. The disciples, I'm still calling you to come and follow me. He says, anybody who wants to come and follow me, here's how the story reads. What do they need to do? If you want to be my disciples, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If anyone for whoever would save his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. There's life change that is a result of lifestyle. What does Jesus say? How do you become his disciple? By self-denial, denying yourself. When you survey your life, how much of your life is about you? How much of the decisions that you make are about you? How many of the prayers that you pray are about you? How many of the ways that you spend your money or the ways that you invest in others, the way that you work, the way that you live, when you survey and you look at the totality of your life, is there a pattern of self-denial? Where you say, God, it's not my will, but it's your will be done. That is, that is a disciple. If anybody would say, they want to follow me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, dying to ourselves daily. This is, a, this is an act of, of sacrifice on the behalf of the person who is going to carry that cross because they know that it's about death. They know that it's about crucifixion. They know that it's about sacrifice. That's a word that the American church doesn't really understand these days. Sacrifice. It takes sacrifice in order to follow after Jesus. Let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow after me. Jesus is the leader. He models for us what true life looks like, a life of self-denial, a life of sacrifice, and a life of service to both God and others. See, this is why we say if you want to experience life change through Jesus, you must embrace the lifestyle that Jesus lived. I meet a lot of people as a pastor and here's what a lot of people say. They say, I'm not experiencing life change. 
right? Pastor, you promised life change. When I came to your church, every single Sunday, you said, life change through Jesus. In the huddle, you said, life change through Jesus. You gave me a card that said, this is an invitation to church. This is an invitation to life change. Y'all talk about life change all of the time, and I'm not experiencing that life change because I'm having the same problems, temptations, struggles. I'm still short with my kids. I still, I still have the same fights with my wife. I'm still struggling with the same things in college, the same temptations, the same, the same patterns in my life, and it doesn't seem to be changing getting better and everything seems to be staying exactly the same. It's not working. And here's what I ask people. Well, what in your life has changed? What have you done in your life to make changes? Because when you meet Jesus, things begin to change. Life change is a lifestyle. See, when you first become a Christian, well, that's the beginning of the Christian life. But there's some things that are going to happen that come after that. And if you're not experiencing life change, then we need to consider how we're living and doing and being as a Christian. What is our lifestyle like? And this is what Jesus actually teaches when he says, come and follow me. It's an invitation to embrace his lifestyle, not just a theology, not just a philosophy, but a way of life. He is inviting us to experience his way of life. How did Jesus live? So here's what I want to give to you. I want to give you five lifestyle shifts for you to experience life change. Because if we're going to experience life change, ongoing, constant, continual work of the Spirit in our lives over time, some things are going to need to change. So let me give you some five lifestyle changes if you want to experience life change through Jesus. The first one that we see is this. It's just following Jesus. Follow after Jesus. This is what he says when he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. This is theologically what we would call repentance. The first words out of Jesus' mouth in Mark was this, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. First words out of his mouth. And this is the first thing that Jesus does in the life of the believer. It is an act of repentance. So let me give you an illustration of what repentance is. Repentance is this, that your life is doing what you want, when you want, however you want it, just doing your own thing. That you're living with your face towards sin and your back is towards Jesus. You could be like Simon and James and John and Andrew, and you could be good, decent, hardworking, normal people doing your own thing. Or you could be like Levi. You could be a, a sinner, tax collector, making terrible decisions and mistakes in your life. Either way, you're both on the same direction. The direction to pain, suffering, death, devastation, and ultimately eternal damnation separated from God forever in hell. This is the path of sin. And this is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, because he gives us a better life through repentance. And repentance is a change of direction. Literally, the word repent is metanoia, which means a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life. It's a change of direction, that you were going one way, then Jesus calls, you're like, whoop, that's me, I'm following him now, and you turn and you begin to follow after Jesus. It's, it's the following of Jesus, it's the first act, and that's what repentance is. So my question is, would you repent? Have you repented? You're like, I did that the day I met Jesus. Well, did you do it this morning? Because it's a lifestyle of repentance. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he says it like this. The beginning and the end of the Christian life is a life of repentance. We need to be continually practicing a life of repentance. That's what it means to follow after Jesus. The second thing that we see is it's actually imitating Jesus. There's a, a saying that rabbis would say in the first century that you want to be covered by the dust of your rabbi, that you would follow so closely behind your rabbi as they're walking down the road, their dust on them actually kicks up on you. And by the end of the day, you look like them. That's what the goal of discipleship is, that you would imitate them so much that you would begin to look like them. So when you look at your life, what lines up with how Jesus lived? Would you be able to say, I am imitating Jesus? The way that he loved others, that's the way I want to love others. The way that he serves, I want to serve others. The way that he gives so generously, I want to be a generous giver towards others. The way that Jesus forgives, I want to forgive others. The way that Jesus blesses people, I want to be a blessing to everyone that I meet. Have you ever noticed that Jesus was never too busy for anyone? That's my prayer. God, please help me slow down. I don't want to be so busy in my life. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to be generous. I want to be like you. 
Jesus practices spiritual disciplines. He prays, he fasts, he tithes, he reads his Bible. So we do those things. And if that sounds overwhelming, let me encourage you with this. Jesus also took naps. And so if you want to be like Jesus, take a nap. Sometimes the most like Jesus you'll ever be is when you're asleep. <laughs> and so here's what I'm going to do today. After I finish preaching, I'm going to go home and I'm going to imitate Jesus on my couch by taking a nap. That's what I'm going to be doing. But I want to imitate Jesus with my life. When you see this, I want to make a lifestyle of imitating Christ. The, the third thing that we see is helping others to follow Jesus. There's a, there's a crazy line in Mark that we studied in a sermon. If you want to go listen to it, we've been studying the book of Mark. It's called, uh, the sermon's called uh, Jesus Gets Real, okay? So you can go and you can listen to that. But here's this crazy verse in Mark. It's probably one of the most sobering verses that we've covered so far in Mark. And here's, here's what he says. Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, what he's talking about is a new believer, a non-believer. He's talking about somebody who's a seeker or a skeptic on the, on the edge or the precipice of faith. And they're, they're wondering, okay, is this Jesus stuff for real? Is this is for me, right? I'm, I'm ready. I'm thinking. I'm willing. Man, I am almost right there. Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, young in their faith, to, to fall away, then it is better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and to be thrown into the sea. It would be worse for them on the day of judgment than on that day. And what is Jesus getting at? What he's trying to say is that people watch the way we live. That people are watching. Your life is a sermon. Right now I am preaching, right? But when you go to work, your life is a sermon because people are watching, your kids are listening, your neighbors are seeing the way that we live our lives. And the question is this, are we helping others to follow Jesus? Or are we hindering them from following Jesus? Are you leading people to him or are you leading people away from him with the choices, the decisions, the actions, and the lifestyle that you live? Are you helping others follow Jesus or are you hindering them? It's a really important thing for us to consider. The, the other thing that we see is this, is developing intentional relationships centered around Jesus, okay? Now, not only are you to help others follow Jesus, but you need other people to help you because life is hard, discipleship is messy, and you're not as special and wonderful, and you're not the beautiful snowflake that you think you are. You're going to need a little bit of help if you want to do this. Okay, here's what I find so amazing is that Jesus is God. He is the second member of the Trinity from eternity past to eternity present and eternity future. He is the one who Paul in Colossians says, by him, to him, for him, through him, all things are made and all things are held together. This is Jesus who humbly entered into this world on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost, that he lived the perfect life. He died the painful death in our place for our sins. And then he resurrected on the third day, defeating Satan's sin, hell, death, and the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns victoriously. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower and to illuminate the early church that went forward and changed the world. And if you're wondering where is Jesus at today, he is interceding, praying, and preparing a place for you. There's a new heaven, there's a new earth, and one day Jesus will return for his church with fire in his eyes, a sword in his mouth and a tattoo down the side of his leg that says king of kings lord of lords jesus and you know what the first thing jesus did was started a small group i mean if jesus needed a small group to accomplish the purpose of his life how much more do you need to be in a small group to accomplish god's purpose in your life it's about developing intentional relationships with other people centered around Jesus. Because discipleship is difficult. You're gonna need other people who are going to encourage you and bless you and support you and help you and give you a swift kick in the pants if you need it. You need them. And here's what, here's what I always say. I want you to write this down. I want you to tattoo it on your forehead. And I want you to remember this, because I will say it until the day that I die. There is no such thing as DIY discipleship. 
Right, you could go on Pinterest and you can get a lot of DIY ideas, but you cannot DIY your discipleship. Right, but I listen to a podcast in my car. Nah, it's not enough. Say, but I download, I, I download the sermons. I have the, all of the, the worship albums. I got the newest albums. Right, I have this little class and this little thing and this little pair. Okay, but that's not enough. You can't do it on your own. There's no such thing as do it by yourself discipleship. You need other people. You can DIY a coffee table but you cannot DIY your discipleship, right? You can, you can DIY crochet a scarf or an Afghan, but you cannot DIY your discipleship to Jesus. Discipleship happens in relationship. It's about being in relationship with other people. Jesus built intentional relationships with others. And so we need to be about building intentional relationships with others as well. Which leads to the fifth thing is receiving the grace that comes from Jesus. Listen, if you've ever read through the four gospels, I want you to just think about it. The disciples, they couldn't do anything right. For those of us who have been studying in the simple gospel through Mark, like the disciples, they're just like, bumbling idiots. Like they can't do anything right. I mean, Peter is always just like open mouth, insert foot. Like that's Peter. There's one story where Peter actually makes the first public confession of faith. Jesus asks him, who do you say that I am? And Peter, he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus says, ding, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got it right. And then in the very next section of scripture, Peter refuses to go to Jerusalem with Jesus for his crucifixion and says, surely, Lord, they will never crucify you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Like, you know it's a bad day when Jesus calls you Satan. <laughs> he can't get it right. There's another story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And that sermon's online. You can go listen to it. It's called Jesus Feeds 5,000 People. <laughs> I have the most original sermon titles. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And at the end of that sermon, they collect up baskets of bread and of, of fish. And they get in the boat. And as they're going around the boat, they turn to each other and they say, uh, do you have the bread? They forgot the miracle bread. They left it. They left the miracle bread. They can't seem to do anything right. There's another story where Jesus casts out a demon. It's called Jesus cast out a demon. And Jesus casts out a demon in this sermon, right? And, and here's what happens as, as they go. They're, they're trying to stop other people from casting out demons. They're like, like, Jesus, we saw these people trying to cast out a demon and we stopped them. Now, true or false, casting out demons, good thing or bad thing? It depends on if you're the demon or not, but it's a good thing. And they stopped him from doing it. They can't get it right. One of my favorite stories comes from Luke. Actually, this is hilarious. I'm going to read it to you. Luke 9. Here, here's actually what happens. It's James and John, right? Boanerges, the sons of thunder, which is an awesome nickname, by the way. The sons of thunder, right? It sounds to me like a WWE name, right? I mean, it's just like James and John, the sons of thunder, I can hear, I can, they, they probably have like, you know, like hell's bells as the music coming out, like boom, and they're coming out. They're like, Jesus, we got this. It's off the top turnbuckle. Boom, elbow drop. It's the sons of thunder. Okay, that's how I read the Bible. Pray for me, but here we go. <laughs> Jesus gets kicked out of a region known as Samaria, and here's what they say. Kid you not, if you, if you think the Bible's boring, it's because you ain't read your Bible. Here, here's what it says. It says, Lord, okay, get the first word right, Lord. Do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Yeah, probably not. But how many of you feel that way in life sometimes? You're like, Lord, 2020, can I just tell fire come down and consume all of this stuff? Because this is a bad year. I would love to call some fire down from heaven right now. I mean, when you look at like, COVID-19, can we just call fire down from heaven and just end this? Like when you consider your, you know, the financial situation that you're in, when you consider everything that's going on in the world, in the nation, when you consider the presidential election coming up, you're like, God, just burn it, burn it all, burn it all down. Just, just consume, consume it, start over, God, please help. Right, do you ever feel that way? It would just be nice if we could just tell fire from heaven and consume everything. Um, and sometimes we feel that way, which means we need to receive a lot of grace from God. Because you know what? You're not perfect. 
and you're gonna make mistakes and discipleship is hard. And if I don't preach this point, then what you're gonna think is that it's all about what you do and how you earn your discipleship from Jesus. And what you don't understand is that it's his grace working in you and through you that empowers you to continue moving forward. Jesus was patient with those disciples. You know what? Jesus is just as patient with you as well. Jesus was gracious towards his disciples and Jesus is just as gracious to you as well. He was kind to them. He didn't burn them and consume them, but rather he instructed them, taught them. He brought them closer and closer so they could become more and more like him. You have to receive and depend and rely on the grace that God has for you. These are lifestyle shifts that result in life change through Jesus. So the first question I ask is what is a disciple? It's one who knows who Jesus is and does what Jesus does. The second thing we saw is that it's a life change that results in a lifestyle. And then the next question is, is how do I grow in my discipleship? How many of you actually wanna grow in your faith? I mean, that's the reason you're here today. You're here today because either one, somebody dragged you here against your will, which we encourage them to do that. And the second reason, is you're here because you want to grow in your faith. Like, I don't believe that you woke up this morning and you wrestled with your kids. You tried to find the left shoe of your toddler. You drank some coffee. You got in a fight with your wife. You drove here. You had to work through the parking lot, navigate your way through the lobby. You forgot your mask. You had to go back to the car, come back again. You had to check your kids in. You finally got a seat. The microphones didn't work, so we're five minutes late. I don't believe that you went through all of that because you don't want to grow in your faith. I believe the reason that you are here today is because you really, truly do want to grow in your faith and be a disciple of Christ. I believe that. But what I've experienced is a lot of people just don't know how to do that. They want to grow in their faith, but they don't know how to grow in their faith. It's almost like when you first start going to the gym. When you first start going to the gym, you're motivated, you want to do it, and then you show up and you realize, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and so you start, you just kind of do that thing where you just like walk around the gym for a little bit. And you're like... I don't know what that is. And you kind of walk over here. But that's how church can feel for a new Christian too. Because you want to grow, but you just don't know how to do it. Because when you go to the gym, there's all sorts of different things. There's the barbells, there's the dumbbells, there's the kettlebells, right? And there's, there's the different machines. There's a squat rack, there's the bench rack. And then there's that one machine that you sit on and, with your legs and it does this. <laughs> Awkward. They need to put that machine against the wall where nobody can make eye contact with you. <laughs> Awkward. And there's all different classes and then there's the elliptical and then there's the Stairmaster and then there's the Stairmaster 5000 and then there's the treadmill and people are really comfortable on the treadmill. And so we don't know what you're doing. You know what you do? You settle for the treadmill. And that's what a lot of people have done in the church because they don't know how to grow and the church hasn't given them the tools and the resources to grow. A lot of people have really just settled for treadmill Christianity. And so what I want to do, I know you don't want to stay on the treadmill forever. I know you want to get jacked, okay? I know you want to. And so what I want to help you do is I want to help you grow in your discipleship. So if you're taking notes, let me just give you eight ways for you to grow in your faith. This comes from Lifeway Research. The Southern Baptist Convention just came out with the Transformational Research Study Project, and they surveyed all of the Southern Baptist churches, and here's what they discovered. Eight essentials for spiritual growth. The same way when you want to grow in your physical health, three things you need to do, diet, exercise, and sleep. You do those three things, you'll be fine. The same thing with your spiritual health. If you do these eight essentials, you will begin to grow in your faith. The first one is this, church membership. Becoming a member in a local church. That's what the whole goal of this series is. We wanna raise the standard of our members because here's what we discovered. If you lower the bar, you lower the results. right? If you lower the standard, you limit the growth in your life. And so we want to raise the standard of what it means for us to be Redemption Church. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus never lowers the standards. He always raises it. When you consider in the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, here's what Jesus says. 
He, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, but I tell you that if anyone hates his brother, he's committed murder in his heart. Is that lowering the standard or raising the standard? It's raising the standard. Here's what, another thing that Jesus says. You've heard it said that if anyone commits adultery, he is worthy of judgment. But I tell you that if anybody looks at another with lust in his heart, then he has already committed adultery. What is that? Is that raising the standard? Yes. He never lowers the standard. He always raises the standard. That's why he also says, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law and raise the standard, which is known as grace. And here's another thing that Jesus says. Jesus says it like this. If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. You say, Jesus, does that mean I have to hate my mother, brother, father, sister, and wife if I want to be your disciple? But Jesus just said, if you hate your brother, then all of a sudden, oh, it's a confusion and it's a contradiction in the Bible. Head explode, right? Now, actually, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that compared to me, nothing comes before me. And here's how Jesus is doing. He is raising the standard. And so we want to raise the standard for our church because I believe that when you raise the expectations of others, people always rise to those expectations. But if you lower the bar, you lower the results. And that's what church membership does is it raises the expectations and standards of your Christian life. And so some people, you're already thinking and pushing back on me. You're already saying, but I don't have to go to church in order to be a Christian. Listen to last week's sermon, but I'll also tell you this. You don't have to have a parachute to jump out of an airplane, but it helps. I don't have to have a parachute. Don't tell me what to do and jump out the plane. See how that works. It really does help. I mean, people say, oh, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. A Christian without a church is like a sailor without a ship. It's like an author without a book. It's like an athlete without a team. It's like pizza without ranch. You could do it, but why would you want to? You'd be crazy. Being involved in a, in a church, it actually raises and encourages the standards and what God wants to do in your life. Be a part of a church. The second thing is daily Bible reading. Jesus says it like this. If you abide in my word, you will be my disciples. To abide in God's word. Here at Redemption, we're gonna dive into it next week with a sermon called Sound Doctrine. And we're gonna have a sermon over sound doctrine. And here's what I want you to know if you're here. I want you to know we believe in the Bible. Every single word of it, it is true. It is trustworthy. It is God's word. It is true for our lives. It is the best way for us to live, to organize, to surrender, and to surround ourselves with God's word. I teach the Bible. My biggest dream in life is that at the end of my life, here's my life goal. Right, my life goal is that I'm gonna preach verse by verse through every single book of the Bible. Here at Redemption, we've already done about 12 books. Okay, so I have about 48 more to go, okay? I'm not good at math. Maybe I'll preach the book of Numbers after that. I'm not sure. <laughs> that was a joke. I just made it up in my head. It was pretty good. <laughs> but we love the Bible at our church. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. We're gonna finish the book of Mark and then we're gonna dive into another book after that until the day that I die, I will preach the Bible. But I want you to read the Bible yourself because if the only Bible you get is coming from me, it's not gonna be enough for your spiritual growth. I mean, think about it like this. If you only eat once a week, what does that do to you? It makes you sick. And if you're only getting Bible from me, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna be sick. You're gonna be spiritually sick and unhealthy and you will not grow in your faith because you are starving yourself. You know what we call a person who doesn't eat? Anorexic. And there are people in churches and pews who are anorexic in their Christian faith or bulimic in their Christian faith where they're receiving a word and then they're spitting it out and they're not chewing it or applying it to their life. You don't wanna be sick. You wanna be healthy. You wanna grow. You wanna be whole. You want to read God's word. I can't make you do it. I'm not going to go to your house and open up your YouVersion app and do it for you. But you have to want to do it for yourself. Read God's word because it's true. And if you live according to God's word, he will bless you and you will abide in him and he will be, you will be his disciple. The third thing we do is this, is serve God and others. You know what the secret to Jesus' greatness was? His willingness to serve others. Here's what it says in Mark. If anyone among you wants to be great, he must become the servant. If anyone wants to come in first, 
he must come in last because even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know what the secret to Jesus's greatness was? His willingness to humble himself and to serve others. So let me ask you, do you wanna be great? Do you wanna be amazing? Do you wanna be wonderful? Do you wanna grow? Do you wanna be strong? Do you wanna be like Jesus? Here is your ticket to greatness. It is called a connect card. And there is a box that says serve team. Sign up to serve and you will be great like Jesus. Serve others, bless others. You know how you spell joy in your life? Jesus, others, yourself. Serve somebody and you will get joy in your life. And this is what we're discovering is that people who serve truly, really do grow in their faith because you discover your gifts, you discover your purpose, you make a difference. And you know what? It just feels good at the end of the day because you made a difference in somebody else's life. You want to do that. The, the other one is this. As we keep going, is witnessing to others. Last thing Jesus said was this, go make disciples, be my witness from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you're here at Redemption, I want you to know, we take this very seriously. And as in our membership class, which is kind of what this series is, I want you to just remember that when you became a member of our church, or maybe you become a member of our church today, you made an agreement to reach one person for Jesus. Every single year, one person. That's, that's what we're asking of you. Will you commit to pray, to believe, to invest, to invite one person? Do you know 95% of Christians will never lead one person to Jesus over the course of their life? If the last words Jesus says was, go make disciples and be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and only 1% of us are being obedient to the Great Commission, something's wrong with our view of discipleship. I'm asking you to lead one person, one person. That's your neighbor, that's your friend, that's your family, that's your children, that's your husband or your wife, your, your, your coworker, that guy at the gym, your enemy. I don't care who it is. Lead one person to Jesus by witnessing to others. One of the best ways for you to grow in your faith is to share it because it motivates, encourages, and will also challenge you because they might disagree with you. But you know what you gotta do? You gotta go and study, learn, prepare, come back with an answer and be ready at all times to give an answer for the faith that you have. One person. And then you know what you can do? You can say, hey, I go to redemption, come with me. <laughs> the next one is this, exercising faith in difficult times. Jesus says, truly, truly, you will have trouble in this world, but take heart for I've overcome the world. A lot of people are wondering, they're like, God, why is life the way that it is? And Jesus is like, why do you keep asking me that question? I told you it was gonna be this way. Didn't you read the book? It says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Let me encourage you with something. Life is hard, it's messy, it's difficult. There will be dark days, painful days, difficult days, days that you wanna give up, you wanna quit. There will be times and seasons that you don't know how you're gonna get through it. But let me encourage you with this, is that sometimes your greatest ministry comes from your deepest misery. I've discovered this in my life. I know it's true because I've seen it in yours. Your greatest ministry comes from your deepest misery. This is why we have recovered drug addicts who are ministering to others in their need. This is why we have people who have gone through divorces who are discipling and encouraging other men or women who are walking through the same things. This is why we have people who have gone through domestic abuse who are bringing other people around them to help these women get out of these situations that we're in. This is the reason that we have freedom ministries because people who have had de demonic strongholds broken down in their life are now giving their time and energy helping other people walk through these painful situations because the greatest misery actually becomes an opportunity of ministry when you begin to trust him. The thing you're ashamed of, the thing you're embarrassed of, the thing that you walk through that you never wish you could have, I want you to know there is someone sitting next to you in this room who's going through that very same thing right now and they need your story. Exercise your faith. You know, I've already gone over time, so I'll just say this. Is that I always ask myself, God, why? But what I've discovered in life is that's the wrong question. The question isn't God, why? The question is God, what? God, what are you teaching? What are you doing? And then God, how? How do you want to use this to bless someone else? That's what discipleship is, right? God, how are you going to grow me and use this 
to be a blessing in someone else's life. See, sometimes the, the, the greatest ministry comes from your deepest misery. Seeking God through spiritual disciplines is number seven. Becoming like Jesus through prayer, silence, solitude, fasting, meditation. Number seven is participating in small groups. We've already covered that, discussed that. Jesus was in one, get in one today. And then unashamed transparency, literally, figuratively, removing the mask and getting honest and humble and vulnerable with other people. How many of you wanna grow? How many of you wanna be a part of a church that does grow? How many of you need help in growing? How many of you want to be a part of something bigger and greater and, and, and to keep moving forward in your life? Well, here's what we wanna do. We wanna invite you to grow with us. This is the reason that we're doing this series. We wanna invite you to grow with us, to grow in your faith together as a church. If discipleship is follow the leader, let me give you one quick illustration and ask you a question. If discipleship is following the leader, let me show you what that looks like for us as a church. The other day we were doing hurricane relief and we were driving out to Orange, Texas. And I was leading a crew and I, we all took separate cars. So as we're caravanning there, I drive, my, my foot has not been regenerated by Jesus. Let me say that. <laughs> when I got baptized, my foot was sticking out like that, okay? Because my foot don't drive like Jesus drives. And so I'm driving and I'm just going in between cars and I kind of leave my crew behind me. And as I get closer to the destination, I pull over on the side of the road and I text him. I say, hey, are you still with me? And they text me, yep, we're still with you. We're gonna be right there. And as I see them coming up from my rear view mirror, I pull out and then we start making the journey together. Right, that's kind of what Jesus is doing for us in this our redemption series. Right now, here's what Jesus is doing. Remember, he builds his church. He leads his church. This is his church. We're following Jesus. And over the last six months, some things have gotten in our way. And Jesus is pulling the church over and he's texting you. Are you still with me? Are you still following me? Are you still believing in me? Do you still believe in this church? Do you still believe what God is doing in this church? Do you still believe that there is a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus? Because I am moving, I am going, and I want you with me. But he's pulling over the side of the road and he's saying, are you still with me? Will you follow me? And this series is about giving us the time to catch up to him because God has big things in store for us as a church. God has a future, a destiny. God has something waiting for us on the other side of this reopen. God has something waiting. I don't know about you, but I still believe that there are people who have yet to meet Jesus. I still believe that there are people who are waiting to be baptized in our church. I still believe that there are opportunities for us to serve others, to bless others. There's more missionaries to send. There's more ties to be given. There's more buildings to be purchased. There's more churches to be planted and there's more lives to be changed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I still believe that. Will you follow me together? And if you say yes to that, and if you want to be a part of this church, and you want to grow in your faith with me, as we follow Jesus together, my last question is this. What is my next step in discipleship? There's always a next step. You never run out of next steps when you follow Jesus. The disciples started in Mark 1, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go, you've been with me for three years. Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you always until the very end of the age. Their first step was following Jesus. But as they continue to follow Jesus, they grew and they grew to where eventually they carried on the mission and the message to reach others. There's always a next step when you're following Jesus. You will never run out of next steps when you're following Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're a new Christian, a brand new Christian, you just walked through the doors for the first time in a long time, or maybe you've been a member here for a while, I wanna ask you this question. What is your next step? What is your next step? What does God have for you to do? You know who he is, but what is your next step? What are you gonna do? Because it's not just about knowing, it's also about doing. That's what discipleship is. So what is your next step in following Jesus? I'll give you four that you could take today. First one is become a Christian. Give your life to Jesus, follow him. And if you become a Christian today, welcome, we love you. In a few weeks, we're gonna have Baptism Sunday. That's the first step in following Jesus, is for you to be baptized. 
That's, and you can get one of these cool baptism t-shirts like I'm wearing right now. It says, this is my baptism t-shirt. Very straightforward. This is my baptism t-shirt. We are redemption. I got dunked here at this church, okay? Sign up to be baptized. We would love to be able to baptize you. The final week in this series is a big baptism Sunday. So we want you to be a part of that. Fill out the connect card, get baptized. The next one is this, next steps. You notice that I'm not asking you to bow your head, pray a prayer. I'm asking you to take a step, right? Because you get to determine what your next step is, right? That's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to follow Jesus together with us. Second thing is next steps. Next steps is today, right after service. We're gonna go eat in the back. Our, our hospitality team prepared a big meal for us. Me and my wife, Ashley, we can't wait to have lunch with you. We will feed you. It's totally for free. And we will watch your kids at the same time. I mean, you don't even have to become a member of our church. We'll feed you and watch your kids. Praise the Lord, pass the butter. I'm there. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Come to Next Steps. And then you can learn more about who we are and how to take a next step. Other one is join a serve team. Statistically, people who do not join a volunteer team within six months of the church, no matter how excited they were on day one, will not be connected in that church six months at online. You love the church, you're here, it's your first day, praise the Lord for you. Get on a serve team, we'd love to help you make a difference. Join a small group. Right now our small groups are, are almost full, but we're gonna have small group launches again in a couple of weeks, so please fill out that connect card, join a small group, and lastly, number five, the final week of this sermon, we're having a big members party Sunday night, and we want you to come and become a member of the church. We're gonna have a big, huge party, we're gonna welcome you, we're gonna have a celebration together, and we want you to become a member of the church. And if you wanna do that today, man, we wanna walk with you through it. We wanna be there with you. Because I believe that we are better together. I believe that when we are together, we are redemption. And we are the church that Jesus is building. And we would love for you to come and grow with us. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Hey!